is rising it seems that all that was good has died oh no the world is a scary place now that you've woken up the demon in me I'd honestly forgotten about that song until we watched the movie. It's so good. I used to listen to so like when Marty said at dinner tonight he still doesn't do a lot of Richard Cheese in college and that's perfect like, that sums up my relationship with that guy. I didn't college. know he was a person or that the name Cheese was a legitimate last name. <laughs> but the more you know. Yeah, but, hey, knowing's half the battle. Yeah. Uh, beyond our uh, newfound, refound love of Richard Cheese, we want to welcome you guys to episode 10. Woo! Welcome 10 back. 10 whole episodes. I can't believe we made it. We did. Yeah, 14 months turns the big 10. Yay. <laughs> I guess we'll have to do something extra cheesy for 14, I guess. That'll be the meta number. Ooh. Yeah. So if uh, it's your first time joining us or it's your, you know, 100th time joining us, you know, there's only been 10 episodes, you might be like, you know, recidivist listeners. We don't know. My name is Bob. I'm your host. One of your hosts. And I'm Jacqueline. I am your co-host. <laughs> co-host. Other host. But now for, for we want to do something big and fun kind of for episode 10, and also because September was wall-to-wall Jack programming because it was her birthday, this November is my birthday like every November. It's all about me. So I will be turning <laughs> 35. <laughs> so Mr. Burns. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I will be turning uh, the big three five, so it's a five or a zero, so I get to make a fuss. Because that's, I find, we talked about this. I make a fuss every year. I don't even care what number it is. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, Jack will blow birthdays up, like. I love birthdays. Yeah, like, if she could, you know, immolate a Hindenburg on the front lawn every year, that's how big she wants to make people's birthdays. Yeah, because you feel special. It's your day. Yeah. So, I, I've got to pick a bit of this programming, uh, but I think the first thing we need to address before we talk about that is how little squeaking is happening right now. <gasps> Bob got a new chair. Yes, they did. So very exciting. Half because I needed one and half because I'm old and it hurt my back. <laughs> I thought it was your hips. Yep. Yep. Bad hips. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very adult purchase. Yep. I sat down in seven or eight different chairs. Marty was with me, so I had him sit down in a few different chairs and... <laughs> Give some opinions, so that was quite fun. So you won't be hearing that horrible squeaking. That I feel like we've lost, like kind of the an ambiance. The, the it's very host. quiet in here. Yeah, I made sure that the dishwasher wasn't run, so we don't hear that. The, the kids aren't getting bathed tonight. Yeah. <laughs> they're just free ranging it tonight. <laughs> free range. Yeah, they're covered in ticks and jiggers, but Jack refused to put them in the tub. Isn't a jigger like a cup to make 
like a drink out of? I have absolutely no idea. Well, there's the, there's a jig, which is the two-sided shot glass for bars. But. I don't like the word jigger. Let's strike that from the record <laughs> and move on. I like the word zombies, though. Yes, zombies is a good word. So that's what we're going to be kicking off Bob's birthday festivities with is it's a bit of a head-to-head. Uh, Jack's doing a... She's either gassy or she has a zombie <laughs> no. face on right now. What are you doing? Um... You want to know what I was actually doing? Were you doing like a left cheek sneak? Were you trying? No, to... I was um, sucking air through the, the little space in my teeth. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a big space in my teeth, but it felt right. Okay, whatever. You know, you have to do you. Like what speaks to you in the moment. Okay. So what we're we're doing, like I said, a bit of a head to head on this one, uh, a little bit more verses than we've normally done, but the the film, the first film we're going to be looking at today is. At least for me as a cinema person, I hate when someone says, well, what's your favorite movies? Like, give me a list. Because any movie person knows that's impossible. Yeah, it is really hard. But you can usually drum up, like, a top. I can some... tell you a top ten. Yeah. Like, but you have to divide that into what I watched again. It's a multiple viewing movie. Yeah. And it can depend on mood, how you're feeling. Like, you know, what's your favorite movie? Well, do you want to know my favorite action movie? My favorite comedy? My favorite slasher? So this is, this movie kind of trades with the top spot because for me it's Phantasm 1 to 4, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and In the Myth of Madness. Those are my top. Like, those are my Desert Island movies. I would get everything I ever need from horror cinema out of those movies and I could just watch those. Wow. Yeah. So I know I'm awesome like that. (laughs) (laughs) Those movies provide a lot for me. Okay. So what we're looking at this episode for the Big Ten is Dawn of the Dead. So we're looking at George A. Romero's 1978 ultra-classic Dawn of the Dead and Zack Snyder's 2004 remake. Snyder. Snyder <laughs> of Dawn of the like Dead. like a funny name. Yes. Before he, uh, before he shat the DC Cinematic Universe down his leg, he made a quaint little zombie movie. So we are going to start with Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Now, I've been watching this movie since I was in high school Jack, had you seen this movie before this, like all the way through? I no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, just absolutely. I not. did see one that you made me watch at one point with more blue face, and <laughs> I it sounds so like on the does, edge of politically it incorrect. It does sound really politically incorrect, but th- I can explain myself. Um, <laughs> Well, we'll get there. Yeah. But no, I had not seen this, but okay. I was a huge fan of the remake when mm-hmm. it came out, and I had nothing to compare it to okay. until now. And you're a Walking Dead fan. I love you... zo- anything zombies. I am in, like, we have our zombie apocalypse plan as a family. Pretty <laughs> nailed shot. You are in like the Flynn. Yeah. It's something that we actually enjoy discussing as a family constantly. <laughs> Whether we could actually survive it, different story, but we've got it we've got it down. Okay. So with Dawn, I guess to give a little background on how I came to this, I actually saw Day of the Dead first. And it was an, an edited copy. Uh, video stores had a bad habit back in the day of if they'd get an ultra gory, ultra violent horror movie, they would get cut versions of it. Uh, it happened the first time I saw The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. They cut all the gore out of that. And with that movie, it's a comedy. So if you cut the gore out, you cut the punchlines out of right. the jokes. So I watched Day of the Dead 
at a buddy's house, and even without the gore cut, that or with the gore cut, that movie is so heavy and so oppressive that I was just horrified. Like, yeah, I'm interested to watch up. it now, which I don't typically say about things that you like. That is very true. Like, it's just how it is. Yeah, that's a completely fair and accurate <laughs> statement. Yeah, it's not like we finished Prince of Darkness and you're like, bitch, more JC! Nope. Get him on. <laughs> no. No, that was the opposite reaction. So I was at Chumley's one day, I think, uh, Aaron Joyce and a couple of the other, my high school friends are with me, and the big, beautiful Anchor Bay double cassette was there, and I saw it, and it was like, oh, guys, we need to get this. Like, we talk, remember the day the dad I told you about? Yeah, this is the one before it, and back then, there was the, there was no DVDs for it yet, you just had to read about it, and so I had read about it, and it was considered, like, this is something from on high that's been handed down You're by God herself. <laughs> so we took it home, and some of the other guys were like, yeah, whatever. But I remember me and Aaron specifically were just like, we sat and watched it. And it was one of those, like, kind of a light bulb moments, at least for me, where it's like, whoa. This movie is everything that I was expecting, everything I had told it would be, but it's so much more because it's a horror movie that's about something. It's not just, you know, well, what's Freddy going to do this time? What's the dream? Was it, was it your first exposure to zombies? Because that really wasn't a thing, a trend in the 80s and 90s. No. It was, was to be a no. big box it, office trend. No, it hadn't exploded yet. Um, the year of the zombie, the big explosion came later in like 2003, 2004 is when it really kicked off and this whole floodgate of movies came out. But like I had seen Dawn... Or seen day. Um, but this was one of my early exposures to it. Cool, cool, And cool. It, it completely blew my mind out the door. So so let's dig into the film. So, Jack, you had you had no experience with this. And we also did this watch a little differently. Because usually it's a big kind of family to do with the dog running around, the kids and craziness. This was just me and Jack sitting and watching Dawn of the Dead. So, Jack, let's... Starting from the beginning of the film, what what were your initial impressions? Because you weren't expecting to like this film. No, and I was. You were so serious about it. So in my notes, I wrote "Dawn of the Dead," the serious one in brackets, <laughs> because I I really try hard not to to be insultive, insulting, um, when I'm prepared to watch some really bad '80s cheese. In this case, it was earlier, right? It was '78, right? Yeah. Um. My first impressions, I was a little bit taken aback because the opening was different. It opened into a melee of chaos that, um, it was pretty realistic. It was pretty mm-hmm. raw and I was keeping an open mind. There was a new concept that was introduced that, um, citizens couldn't be in private residence. They had to be out. And I, I kind of like exploring that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Warm Bodies explores that. Uh, about what happens when you put all the survivors in a commune and you wall them in mm-hmm. and protect them from the zombies on the outside. But I wasn't I wasn't expecting to like it. And when the music started, that happy synth music, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a slog. <laughs> going to be a slog. But I was presently surprised. <laughs> I really was. It was slow, and a lot of movies that you do show me that you seem to like are slow moving. Yeah. Well, it's, especially coming off of watching The Exorcist and to this, there's a lot of that 70s director cinema style 
in this film where he is, he's not in a rush. No, I could tell that. To get you anywhere. Yeah. But it also never drags. Like once the film starts, it, you know, you have that shot of Franny. She wakes up and, you know, she's woken up into this nightmare and it's go. And from that opening scene, you're getting a taste of how it's frantic without being chaotic. It's well, because they're not out in the chaos that is the survivors. Yeah. They're so isolated um, for a large portion of the film. And I was worried that we were going to see this really kind of boring wide shot of it. But then you said, oh, don't worry. We're going to get character because typically I don't find there's a lot of character in some of the movies we've watched. Yep. And, and that's that's not my jam when there isn't character study. Mm. Um but once they got into the mall, I was pretty drawn in. Yeah. Because that's, if there's one major complaint when we get talking about the remake is that there's way too many characters. Oh, yeah. And I think I mentioned that. Yeah. I call them dangleberries. Yeah. <laughs> characters that could be killed off or they're, they're unnecessary. Yeah. Like, why are you there? Yeah. You they're could... just there to die. Or look pretty. Yeah. Basically. So, whereas with this, we you're not kind of sure who our main characters are because we go and he starts kind of whittling it down. Yeah. Because we go from the TV studio where you get a sense of something. This is really wrong because in the Night of the Living Dead, we've had this very isolated view of the beginning of this outbreak. Okay. And now we've, we're shifting to the cities and seeing how people are handling it. And it's like, okay, this is, I'm involved. You're, you see, but how quickly you start to see people break down and how quickly our society starts to unravel when you have this outside pressure because we go immediately from the TV studio to the project block. Oh, that was, yeah. Where, you know, because that's, they've declared martial law. You can't be in here. We're moving people to safe areas so that the National Guard can dispose of the dead bodies. And no, they won't have it. So you have this incredible scene where the SWAT raids the building and everything just goes to shit. Yeah, people are... Nobody knows who's shooting who. Nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah. But I will tell you, and it threw me off from the beginning, and this is why I just can't take it as seriously, is because of the blue face and the yeah. pink blood. <laughs> so in, in my experience from what I've watched of zombie cinema, the special effects have been... Incredible. Walking Dead, yeah. aside from a few shots where they try too hard, you can't tell the difference. And it's done so well, and the physicality of it is so good. And then to watch this, where you told me the budget was low, mm -hmm. you told me that the makeup did not film the way they intended it to, and it, everything had a blue sheen to it. So it looked like old-school Frankenstein makeup. Yeah. And and I get that. The, the zombie that we're used to, especially from Walking Dead... Well, most of that comes from Day of the Dead, because on that one, Tom Savini had a hugely increased budget. He had a real crew for the first time. Did he do rotting corpses? Because this, you yes. don't really get a sense of rot. And, no. Um, the way that they walked was like, with your arms up in the air. and. Well, it's, it's you made a comment that I found funny, and it got me thinking about it, where... As soon as we start to see a lot more of the zombies, you you made the comment that they seem to awake. Yes, yes. Um, and that's a combination of a couple things. One, they couldn't have. We're used to contact lenses, in and that kind of stuff that they do in zombies now. 
any of the hero zombies in movies or whatever, they'll usually have grayed out eyes, whited out eyes. They'll do something to make it look a little bit more like a dead body. But here it's it's just people when a lot other than a couple of featured ones, it's just kind of the blue pancakes and blood on their mouth and they're just dead bodies. And I was really distracted and kind of turned off by that, so I really had to suspend my belief mm-hmm. that this was a threat because they're also dancing in between them at some points, like where I think, just go punch him in the face. You don't even have to like stab his brain stem, just punch him in the face and he'll be fine. Yeah. But I, I, I guess for me with the, the blue zombies, to me, that's just what they look like. And because it's, they're so, we're so early into this outbreak you wouldn't have this rot going on yet that we see, like, by the time we get to Day of the Dead, this has been going on for four or five years. There's this one incredible scene where they shoot a zombie in the head, there's a spurt of blood, and then this huge spurt of pus comes out. Ew. Because wow. they're literally rotting. See, I like that. Yeah. The the grotier, the rottier, the more scary that it, like, I could just picture what the putrid smell is, where when I look at these zombies, I I think it smells like Avon. <laughs> I have to deal with that stench at work all the time. <laughs> I do. Like I just Grandma's get reminded bathroom. of Grandma's bathroom. No yeah. joke. So it was. I wasn't frightened. Um. At, although I will say that Steve, Flyboy, his zombie was awesome. Yes, he, that is some next level shit in the way that he rolls that ankle yeah. over and just really goes for it. So but. the what are the asshole characters of the four? I mean, all the men in these movies seem to be chauvinistic pigs. Anyway, excuse Not me. No, Peter. No, Peter was pretty solid. Um, but one of them turns, and I'm like, yes, turn, you bastard. Yeah. And he does this amazing walk. I was actually trying to do it when we went for that walk in the woods in Duro, yeah. and it was really hard. Try rolling your ankle. Yeah, I was worried I was actually going to hurt yeah. myself. And he just And he does it, and he did it for hours on set. Like, just absolutely bananas. Like, that's Lon Chaney-level fuck-with-your-body style shit that he like does. Like, my there. left foot? Yeah, like yeah. crazy. My left foot is yeah. fucked up. <laughs> but I, with the woke zombies, as you kind of put it, I I like that because it's a, it's a constant reminder that these are people. They're not just carnival targets. Like, you can yeah, look at them yeah. and see the people that they were, that this is very new. These people have only probably been dead for a few days. Well, and they keep reminding you with the news broadcast they have in the background mm-hmm. that you, it might sound militant. Now, coming from our perspective where we know all about zombies and like, yeah, if you turned, I'm stabbing you in the brain. Yeah. Um, but they're like, please don't look at these things with any type of empathy. They are yeah. not... The shell of the person that you see. Yeah. They're not, not your mother, your son. By the fact that these are your family and your friends. They are not. <laughs> and I, th- I see that, and this is what I did like about this one, too, is there's echoes of The Walking Dead. And I love oh, yeah. Walking Dead up to a certain point. We It lost me with Negan, and we haven't watched past oh, that I gave season. up when the governor happened. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we are going to try and push through it now that we're watching it with Logan, but I can see some really strong echoes of where they're getting inspired by oh, yeah. this. Walking Dead is dawn and day. That's yeah. where they took the inspiration from, for sure. And that's awesome because I love it. Yeah. Well, that's 
what thinks something that because it's there's so many zombie movies out yeah. there. There's too many. There, yeah, it's ones that came back in two thousand three, two thousand four. There was there were some good movies that came out of that kind of burst. Red Snow. Uh, Red Snow. The, that's the sequel was even Dead better. Snow. Dead Snow. Dead Snow. That was later. That's nichier though. That that's not just the zombie movie. That's resurrecting the Nazi zombie movie. Well, like which is awesome. A, you want to talk about a niche subgenre? I only know of two: uh, Shockwaves and Zombie Lake, which is actually even nichier because that's the underwater Nazi zombies. What? Yes, that's a thing. That's a thing. That's an actual thing. You would hate those movies. Zombie Lake's unwatchable. Shockwaves is actually pretty good for what it is. Okay. But watching this and then seeing, because there's been so much stuff, to kind of go back to the basics, and it's something that when George Romero was at his best... He was he was a blue collar filmmaker and a blue collar writer, so he wrote about people, and that's why I think Dawn of the Dead continues to be such an important film for horror fans, because it it's easy to just oh my god we're in a mall and it's so incredible because it appeals to our consumer instincts. I love it. Yeah, it's one of my number one fantasies. And I think they exploit the mall stuff so much better in this one than they do in the remake, because the mall is the <laughs> they do it fifth more artistically character. Yeah, yeah. And because it's it appeals to us this kind of wild west freedom of the whole thing. Where even they have trouble controlling themselves. Well, they do that. I love the getting shit done montage. Yeah. That happens in so many movies where they play the music and they're going through and trying on furs and yeah. just being animals. But that's where the appeal is. I yes. told you about that Dawson's Creek episode where Joey and Pacey get stuck in like a Walmart or a superstore. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. What they didn't show in the remake and they showed in this one was the after that day happens the like reality of like we're stuck here yeah and, and that's that's what's at the core of this film is and it's something that not a lot of filmmakers really understand when they use zombies they're just walking targets mm-hmm. it's the zombies are metaphors they're metaphors on feet which is why they don't have to run because they're just walking metaphors well and they even say this and in the remake why are they here? And they're like, I don't know. It's just instinct, I guess. And they come back to this place because it's so in the mall and consuming is so important to them that they're overwhelmed with this need, not just to come back to the mall, but to still consume after death. And there's, he never, yeah, but it's, it's one of those (laughs) early films that does that. There's nothing worse for a horror fan than to have somebody say, well, horror movies aren't about anything. And it's like, bitch, I got a list here where I can tell you these movies that are about things. There's so many social commentaries in a lot of different horror movies. Because with horror, you can get away with it. You know, from... Uh, The Escape Room. Yes, the one from 2015 was so good. (laughs) Jesus. But even from the the original one with the casting of the, the black actor in that is the lead. That was hugely controversial at the time. And they, that gave it exposure. But when they asked George Romero about it, they're like, why'd you do it? He's like, oh, he was, he was the best one. Yeah, that just seems so absurd yeah. to me. They're like, what do you mean? He was just like, well, that other it people would matter. came in and I didn't change the script or anything. He was just did the best job, so we hired him. He didn't intentionally write a black character until Dawn. 
because people kind of, and then in today, because people are kind of expecting it. Interesting. Yeah. And Peter, uh, Ken Forey knows the man from the original Night of the Living Dead, they're friends. And he called him up and he's like, oh man, hey, I got the Dawn gig. And he's like, oh, George gives good hugs. Like, George is a hugger. He was a big, gigantic man that hugged people. Well, so is the so, character in the movie. Ken Foray is humongous. He's massive. And yeah. I thought it was just, like, a filming kind of angle oh. that they had him on when he comes out of the, the complex there in the basement. No, nope. he's big just boy. huge. He's a big, big guy. I've met him a couple of times, and he's he's a monster. Even at his age, he's still huge and ripped. <laughs> and like, Good for him. Yeah, pick you up and throw you around. But that's, again... I think that's why this is separate because you talked about the getting shit done montage. Love it. When it's so much fun because you eat all the food and everything and the the goblin score is so energetic and exciting. And then, like you said, this horrible realization of this is one day. Yeah, when you really put, like, I'm usually flabbergasted by deep time. But then when you're like, this has only been a day. Yeah. It's Roger's already been bitten, so you were on a countdown clock. Yeah. You know, and you have all this fun and excitement, and then we go right back to we're in the room and he's screaming. And then when we get to the second doing shit montage, the music is so subdued and somber, and they're now just going through the motions. They've locked themselves away from the world, ignored the problem, and, and June Cleaver setting the table while the boys play poker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this idea that, well, we have everything we can ever want. This is what society says we should have. We should have everything. Yeah, except the woman wants to leave. Yeah. She's one the only, day. One day. The only sensible one is Franny. I want to talk a little bit about Fran. Because the original Night of the Living Dead, the way they handle Barbara is, it's... I get it. It's a product of the time. But, oh, my God, it's horrendous. Well, I you know how much I hate that female stereotype of the yeah. hysterical woman. Yeah. And she, Barbara, is hysterical that's, throughout the no, original. That's I don't know if I can handle that. Well, when they did the the night remake in, in the 90s, that was the first thing George fixed, is Barbara is now, you know, no bullshit, kicking ass, taking care of the whole situation herself. Good. But... Fran is kind of like this is pre Ripley, so you don't have this pre Sarah Connor. You don't have this archetypal female warrior or anything yet. Oh, there's nothing warrior about this. Woman. No, not in the. <laughs> I least. wanted to slap her several times. But she is, she's the moral and ethical center of them all. You know, Peter is kind of that warrior poet where he's you know he's. He's the the noble. Is he the soldier. big guy? Yeah, okay. Ken for it. You know, you have Roger who gets bit. You know, he's well, he's the, indulgent. Yeah, spoiled brat. Well, how f- quickly the Wild West mentality of the end of the world gets to him, and he makes a mistake. And, and Steve's the asshole who's yeah. just encouraging her to get an abortion by the big guy. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> where did this even come from? Yeah. Well, Steve's that he's representative of that old world of what the mall represents. You know, like she says, it's so bright and shiny and neatly wrapped, but don't you see it's a prison too? And that's, she's the only one that sees that. And she also has the responsibility of seeing the continuance of the human race. And she's pregnant. Yeah. She's She's pregnant. (laughs) She's (laughs) pregnant. She's pregnant. 
She is progenitant. <laughs> Pergent? <laughs> In my pregnat. <laughs> If, if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll try and put the link in. Uh, there's a video of a guy reading, uh, I don't know what it is. Like it's like answers. Google Doctor. Yeah, it's people questions. asking if they're pregnant, but people can't spell. And so he <laughs> reads uh, verbatim what they wrote. These and, people shouldn't yeah. be propagating yeah. the world. How's do I am knows if pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> or am I pregnant? <laughs> So, so anyway, Shelly, or not Shelly, it's Fran. Franny yeah. is pregnant, and there's this undercurrent of doom as well because of that, because the thought, A, of giving birth into this zombie world, and then B, her partner is less than... Less than ideal. Less than ideal and really not supportive about the entire thing. Yeah. Um, in fact, like, the reluctant tap on the back when she's vomiting into the yeah. toilet because she's got morning sickness. Steve's an ass. Steve yeah. got what was coming to him in that elevator. He's well, just a piece of shit. <laughs> well, he's he's very much, as I said, representative of, of holding that line of civilization as they know it has been completely washed away. This mall is kind of an island in in this sea change of reality. Islands in the sun. And he's, that is what we are. He's sitting there taking photos. Yeah, he's an idiot. Yeah, like just pretending that nothing's changed. So, yeah, it's it, it's hard not to, because I could sit and just pick every scene apart in this. I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> so you can say that all you like. Let me see what other notes I got here. Okay. Um, oh, so the arming up scene. Oh, I so it. I'm I don't like weaponry except in survival situations. And much akin to the getting stuff done montage in a movie, yeah. I love a good arming up scene where you like hear the clicks of the belts and you, yeah. you can almost smell the bullets. Rambo getting dressed yeah. and something all that, that I've shit. I've fired guns before and I'm totally uncomfortable and look like a total lunatic loser. Yeah. Um, but in my head for that moment. I can imagine how awesome it is to arm yourself in a zombie apocalypse. Well, it's it's part of the, the few semi-romantic, exciting moments that George lets happen in this film. Because the, the end of the world itself is never romantic. Having to shoot these people is never just, you know, oh, scoreboard, got another one. Well, we romanticized it, and the majority of people that love apocalyptic... Um, genre of movies and books would never survive. No. Like ever. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be serious here. Yeah. And it's that, well, I would do this. I would get to indulge in the worst behaviors because I survived. I could go around shooting people and taking stuff and doing whatever yeah, I we want. Worked. Well, that's, that's horrible. It's <laughs> <That's> horrible <laughs> things to be excited about. I can punch you. Yeah. And nobody's going to do anything yeah. about it. I'm going to find my eighth grade math teacher and I'm going to stab him in the face. <laughs> Why? Because he was a zombie. Sure. But I think there's something to be said about living out that fantasy in a safe space in a book or on yeah. the TV where it's like, okay, yeah, we can talk about it and joke about it. Yeah. I would have a baseball bat with nails on it. Yeah. <laughs> John dies at the end style? No, I don't think yeah. I would because... I would be afraid of it getting stuck into the body, and I wouldn't be able to pull it. Out. It is. It's a very impractical weapon. It is. And we've had conversations at length about the practicality of weaponry. <laughs> um, but I did, I did. I was happy that I liked this. In fact, 
one of the things I said to you was, is this going to be some Prince of Darkness shit because I can't handle the JC right now? And by JC, I mean John Carpenter. And if you listened to our John Carpenter episode, you would know how much I detest him. Yeah, Carpenter didn't go over well. And no, it was, I'm glad that it wasn't another, because I love, I love John Carpenter. But George is always a very different filmmaker in the way that he wrote his characters. And it was always just about characters. And it's something that's lost on the remake, and we'll start talking about that in a second. It's George doesn't need to have a hundred characters in the film. His zombies don't need to run. We don't need all this chaos because the characters' decisions will put them into peril. And that's what's great, is it never even when the bikers raid the mall at the end, it would have been so easy for them to just go upstairs and sit and then regroup and make the decision. But Steven's starting to take shots at the bikers. That's not out of character. If Peter had have just started shooting everybody, he'd be like, whoa, that's completely out of character for mm-hmm. him. Whereas it's completely motivated because we've spent two hours with these people and we know what they're going to do. There's this sense of dread because, man, you know Steven's going to go down there and fuck it up. Every time he runs downstairs with a walkie-talkie and a gun, he fucks everything Steven, up. Do people... No. It just... It, every step he made was wrong. Yeah. So it's... It's so refreshing. It's the reason why I can never be bored with the film because there's so much to see because it's so kinetic and... It the message, especially as consumer culture has literally consumed us. We don't even have to leave the house anymore to consume. It's I've done like half my Christmas shopping sitting on the couch upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Marty's like, why is there another box in the driveway? <laughs> but no, it's it's a film that doesn't lose its resonance over the years and Christ, it's still such a big deal that at the mall in Monroeville just outside of Pittsburgh, they still do a convention every year. I went, uh, not this summer, but the summer past, to Pittsburgh. So and the, I think to this Monroeville. is a bigger conversation we need to have here, even just briefly. It astounds me that there's an entire group of people, probably into what thousands, oh, hundreds. In, in terms of hardcore Dawn of the Dead fans, there's tens of thousands. What? Yeah, we're huge. Dawn of the Dead. We're fucking. We're huge in Japan. Um, Dawn like, of the Dead is, is a humongously important film to a lot of people. And that, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. Because, I mean, I remember the only thing I have that's comparable is going to see Liza Minnelli in concert with my mom. Because <laughs> that was the closest I was ever going to get to Judy. Do <laughs> <laughs> you love me now, mommy? Yeah. you love me now? Liza with a Z. <laughs> um, and I felt like a sense of camaraderie in the room, but I would never seek out meeting anybody in a film in real life. Like, if I ran into somebody, I'd be mm. like, oh, hey, I know you. But going to a, a convention or the mall that something was filmed just doesn't even get on my radar. So I was interested to find out more about this. Well, it's it's, it's the nichiest thing that I've ever done. Um, because I've been to countless conventions. I did Fan Expo for years. But that's a lot of different genres. That's comics and horror and sci-fi. So you have, you know, 80,000 people come through those doors over the course of four days from a multitude of of interests. A multitude? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But then I've gone to Cinema Wasteland a couple times in Ohio, and that's just horror and exploitation. So it starts to filter it down a little bit into the, get into the gooey, you know, we're we're into into the nougat now. 
Don't say gooey nougat ever again. <laughs> I'll say I'll say moist chewable. Is that better? That's disgusting. It's absolutely terrible. But with the Monroeville show, with the Living Dead Weekend, that was different because we knew about it, and my friend Hayden and I we talked about it because we're friends because of Dawn of the Dead, and it's one of the most important movies for us. And we went to the Day of the Dead reunion in Ohio. So when the 40th anniversary of the movie came up, and it wasn't just the show was going to be bigger that year. It was also the following, uh, the previous year, uh, George Romero had passed away. Um, we even, we went to his funeral because he's local, he's Toronto-based. So we got to go, they did a private uh, visitation and then his, his wife opened it to the public and did it. And she stood in the visitation line all day greeting wow. fans. And it was, that was heavy. Heavy D. So we all went into me, Hayden, Robinson, and other people. We went into the cemetery and we all did a shot of Jack because they're drinking Jack Daniels in the movie. So cute. And each told a story about how Dawn changed our lives. And Which was, I think I find I find really nice. Like I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's cute, but it obviously it has something meaningful to you. Well, it's when because I don't I haven't really talked about this, but like whenever you get a big celebrity death. Like, it's, it can be tough, depending on how involved you were with their body of work. Obviously not the person. Like, I remember when Leonard Nimoy died. I'm like, that's a bummer. When Robin Williams died, that was a bummer. But oh, I remember, Mom and Dad were visiting uh, in Toronto, and when I heard uh, that George Romero passed away, it, it literally took the wind out of me. Really? Yeah. Like, I had to, I was standing in the, in the living room, and I had to put my hands on the bar because I thought I was going to fall down. Like it completely, I took a couple of days off work. Like it literally what? took, yeah, it took the wind right out of me. Hayden came over that night and we just got tankered and watched Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and had a cry. I, and I don't, I can't even relate to that because yeah. it's just not. It's like I met him. I mean, super, super personal. Yeah. Like I met him when I was 19 at my first festival of fear and I was such a goober. And I was going away to film school. Well, you think you're not a goober now? I'm a huge goober. <laughs> okay, now. Um, just checking. But my beard's better. So I was going to film school the following week, and I come up and I've got my Dawn box set, and it's like, you're such a. He's gonna sign it, and I was like, I'm I'm going to I'm actually starting film school next week, and he looks like really, even in his like middle sixties, he was still so excited by film. I said, yeah, one of the major reasons I'm going is because Dawn of the Dead. And he looks up at me with wet eyes, and he's like, thank you. Thank you so much for telling me that. And, like, gets up and does a photo, puts big arm. And he's, I'm tall. He's head and shoulders above me. Really, yeah, eh? Puts, I have a photo somewhere where I have this monster shit-eating grin on my face. And, like, that. So I've had this relationship with him and his films going back to when I was 13. That's really nice. So that's why, you know, because I was preparing for you to hate this so, so bad. Oh, so was I. And In fact, I was people, pretty like, sure that I hated it already. Yeah, telling people, I'm like, it's not going to be good, but <laughs> I love it. It's so important to me. Like, I could watch the Phantasm movies with you and you could hate them, and I would feel better about that because they're a required taste. But this, I was like, no. Especially with all this extra background stuff. But... You're so dramatic. I am a very dramatic, yeah, coming from the actress. <laughs> you also have a really, like, twisty, long eyebrow hair Shut that up. I'm just dying to pull out. No, I groomed it three or four <laughs> months ago, and now it. it's back. I used to have, I, 
I used to have perfect eyebrows. <laughs> People would ask me, do you groom them? I'd be like, no, baby, they're just perfect. But then I turned 30. It's huge. Yeah, I know. I know the exact one you're talking okay, about. Okay, can I, I, ju- I won't pull no. it. Can I just touch it? Okay. Just tug on it a little. It's horrible. Well, why don't you remove it? Because it wasn't there. I have to trim it because that wasn't there yesterday. No joke. When it pops up, it's just there. Right. Hey, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I went to Chicago, but it was closed. <laughs> like, Christ. So, yes, turned 30, and now my eyebrows are out for themselves. You're turning 35. I know, but since I turned 30, that's when it started. I got, like, one little chin hair here that I have to keep plucking. Do you see yeah. it? <laughs> have you plucked it recently? It's wiry. No, it's been a while because I can always yeah. feel it. <laughs> Speaking of wiry things that should be plucked. So, Jack's side of this whole incident was that she was really a big fan of the Dawn remake. So, And I I have to say, did I interrupt you? No, no, no. Okay. Feel free. I have to say that when we watched it, I ended my notes. I started it with Dawn O the Dead. Loved (laughs) it. Dawn O the Dead. Loved it. Double lined it. Exclamation marked it. Um, I did. It was a good... Experience, aside from the fast zombies, which I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we watched this one, I started to rethink how I felt about it, mainly because it was supposed to be playing paying homage to the original, yeah. and I do not think they did a good job of that. No, not in the least. So this this movie is one of the films. I would say three films that's responsible for kicking off the the remake boom that kind of poisoned horror throughout the middle 2000s because they, for a long time, a lot of horror, there was two remakes that every horror fan would point to and say, if it's not the thing and if it's not the fly, don't touch it. You, Those are the two perfect remakes that we've done. Everything else turns to shit, leave it alone. Well, then early 2000s, almost within two or so years of each other, we had Texas Chainsaw Massacre got remade, <laughs> and it was good. It Unfortunately, was so It had horrifying. problems, but it was good. The Hills of Eyes got remade, and it was good. And then Dawn of the Dead got remade. And these were movies that were considered untouchable. Like, they were unfuckable films. Leave them alone. You're not good enough for her. Don't even talk to her and at the bar. It's such a shame, because I feel like there's so much potential to do something really good with it. Um... And Dawn of the Dead, the remake was good, but not as a remake. Well, because you had been kind of enjoying it in a bit of a vacuum. Because you were just enjoying the film for what it was. Yeah. Just this little zombie caper where they went to a mall, and that's kind of fun. They shoot a bunch of people, and then the movie's over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all, like, that's typically how I approach most films, is that unless it has some major significance to it, which is few and far between movies that I be really pissed off Mm -hmm. if they screwed up i just kind of enjoy it in the moment and this one i did well it's until if you yeah (laughs) if you take the dawn title off of this film it's a a solid fun little caper of a flick that kind of gets going moves along pretty well for the most part, the acting solid throughout well sarah polly writing's not that bad awesome my major problem with this movie beyond its major problems is actually Sarah Polly. Really? You don't like her? Uh, I don't 
Well, I know why she's in the movie. Because why? the big fat check she got from this, she rolled into and made like 30 independent films. Like the sweet hereafter? Uh, tons, tons of shit. Because every now and then she'd pop up in a bigger film, take the money, and then go off and produce a couple of her own movies. Right. But she seems confused throughout a lot of the movie. Yeah, she's like, not... She's not closing her mouth a lot. A and kind of has A solid character. Well, none of them are, and that's a major problem. No, they're all, um, they're playing characters. Yeah, they're all very serious stereotypes. The only one that I felt wasn't was Chips, obviously, <laughs> the dog. Oh. <laughs> um, and, like, he just did his thing. He was yeah. really, like, realistic and honest, and he... About which, being a dog? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, was the Al... On the other side in the... Oh, Buddy at the Gun Store? Yeah, like, yeah. he just, he also did his thing. Well, that that's the movie I, there's, it littered in this movie or a couple of movies that I'd actually really want to see. You know, the, the f- person who's pregnant and is, we don't know what's going to happen with this baby and then the ethics of having a zombified baby, because the zombie baby is inspired. That's okay. an inspired little scene. Okay, can we just scene. say for one, one second, though... Mackay Pfeiffer telling his Russian mail-order bride to be quiet in zombie labor <laughs> really pissed me off. Because I'm like, okay, here we go. She's in labor. She's not a Scientologist. So, first of all, he has no right to say anything. <laughs> Second of all, she is a zombie, so she has no self-awareness anymore. And she's in labor, so she's like, what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. And, like, is the zombie eating her from the inside out? Is she sucking her life force like uh, friggin' Renesme in Twilight? Like, what... Why and on any, like in any situation, would you tell someone to be quiet in labor? That that took me off. Dead. Yeah, that's that's completely justifiable. And why wasn't the pregnant one Sarah Polly? Yep. If she's supposed to be Lucy's character, Franny. Franny, um, why isn't she the pregnant one? Yeah. It would make sense. We see her husband. She's got this domestic life. She's lost him, and we have more emotional impact. Because that's that's the thing that was stripped away in this, is the politics of the original are gone. Yeah. There's one bumbly scene where they try to... Because there's a brilliant scene in the original Dawn of the Dead where they're all in their fur coats, and they come out on the balcony in front of JCPenney. And they kind of have this semi-philosophical discussion about what's going on. Yeah. That's when Peter says, there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. My laundry bag, this basket just fell over, and Jack jumps like, what? Zombies. <laughs> Ready to go. Whereas here, they try and have that discussion, but you can tell that they didn't want that scene in the movie, but you have to have that scene in Dawn of the Dead, and they just kind of bumble through it. I don't know. They didn't need the scene of the security guard banging the hot girl. Well, that's just, there's so much that you don't, Need in a Dawn remake, which why I recently heard that this didn't start life as a Dawn remake. Oh. That they came to them with, they had a script that had the running zombies and was kind of a, just a bit more of an homage to the genre as a whole and said something about, well, if you, we can turn this into a Dawn remake, will budgets go up, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if that's true. I, d- I haven't been able to substantiate that. But it makes sense because the movie is so... is nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead except they go to a mall. They go to a mall and there are there are hints of it, but the cast gets out of control. 
Once they bring in that fat lady in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> they bring in the truck full of victims. That's <laughs> all it is is victim delivery truck. the Canadian staple, the woman who drives the truck, she's awesome. Yeah. Well, she's in it. Uh, Matt Frewer shows up for a scene and crushes it. Yeah. You know, but it's also. Is that Lawnmower Man? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lawnmower Man 2. Oh. Uh, Jeff Fahey played Dub in first one. Phil mm. Dumphy makes, like, yeah. he, he. I just can't take him as anything but Phil Dumphy from Modern Family. And he plays such a creepy, greasy asshole, but he plays it like he's playing a character. He doesn't, uh, like, yeah. exude slime. Well, there's no natural flow to any of them. Like, Except with the, for chips. With the original <laughs> Dawn, you know, some of these people, were they were just theater actors. You know, Fran had never really done anything before when she got this job. You know, Flyboy was waiting, ta- bussing tables. Like, Fran would go to acting classes during the day with the side she had to do at night with this, like, seven-year-old old Russian acting coach. And she'd be like, okay, what, Galen, what are we doing today? What are the zombies doing to you today? Yeah, and that's crazy. So that's what she would do. So you have this kind of ama- almost amateurish approach to it that a creates bit. a natural feel. It's though. got, like, a, a real stage presence. Like, if this could almost be a play, the original one. Yeah. But it feels more real because of that. Yeah. Where here, you're right. You know, Mr. I dress in beige all the time, so I must be the good guy character. The cowboy? Yeah. And then, you know, you've got the the guards. Look, the two of them are jerks because they look like jerks. But the innocent, cute guy from the WB, he's going to be nice because he looks nice. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah. Like, they're the... that. The bad guy trope. There's the three of them, and they're like, I'm evil. Very much so. <laughs> For no reason. Jack just twirled an invisible mustache. <laughs> Snidely whipped it. But that's the thing is they needed to bring in outside villains into this script because they didn't have enough dramatic meat to sustain it. Whereas in Dawn, other than when the original, they go to the police dock and kind of run into the cops there. Yeah, I think there's going to be an issue. Yeah, and they're just like, no, man, we're, we're running too. Well, that, and that's a realistic thing. It's like, you're telling me, like, I know there's a lot of jerks out there, but you're telling me that they all happen to crash this mall? Yeah. Except for, like, two? Yeah. That's it? And then we're going to we're gonna build exciting Road Warrior-style dune buggies to Which escape. I do like. I like in a good arm vehicle. That's cute, but it's just, like, we're going to have chainsaws at the window. The old guy wearing the ladies' high heels is totally going to fuck this up for everybody. Yeah, oh, and he does. Yeah, and like, that's funny. Time. You know, like the it, girl that yeah. got penetrated gets penetrated by a chainsaw. Yeah, okay. So, slasher rules. There are some funnier moments in it, like more lighthearted moments, which I did like when I watched it. But in terms of really nailing a remake, mm-hmm. it failed. And you can you can be completely different. Yeah. And the best of the remakes are like David Cronenberg's The Fly is so different from the 50s B-movie. Well, and it Couldn't was be based more on different. Ben's Kafka, The Metamorphosis, yeah. <laughs> which is very different than the movie that with uh, my boyfriend from Jurassic Park. <laughs> the creepy one. Jack Malcolm. Goldblum? Yeah, him. Have you seen The Fly? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, he's just it's disgusting. Great. It's weird. Mom and Dad, yeah. like, prefaced it with this is going to make you feel sick, and it's strange. Wait, you watched The Fly with Mom and Dad? Yeah, because I had a weird... 
crush on Malcolm from Jurassic Park. So I was like, I'm going to watch whatever he's in. And it's almost like that crush that you have on David Bowie. You're not sure if you should be, like, afraid of him or, yeah. like, follow him for candy or... Yeah. So I feel that way about Tilda Swinton. I'm like, I don't know if I'm more attracted yes. to you when you have a dress on or when you dress like a guy. Crystal... That's all confusing for me. Crystal Lindsay said, we're talking about the labyrinth and David Bowie. She's like... That uh, movie uh, opened more questions for me than it answered. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially about my sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> or, or his sexuality. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I've, I've lost our train of thought here. No, we're just, it's, when you strip away the politics, Don becomes just a hollow shoot 'em up And that's what this movie, I've, even like Stallone, in Rambo movies doesn't load as many there's not as many gun loading scenes as there are in this it seems every five minutes they're like did someone load a shotgun someone loading a shotgun yeah if not get Ving Rhames in here to load a shotgun yeah. and we, we lose I think they lost it three quarters of the way through and they knew that so then it just became a free for all I don't even remember how it ended um, like, I like the idea that they get to the island and you're kind of seeing oh, yeah, this yeah, found yeah, footage yeah. and then they get overrun and everyone dies because <laughs> that goes back to the original bummer ending that Don was going to use, but they went with a, a hopeful ending. But it's also, it's the Night of the Living Dead ending. Because watching it this time, it's a remake of Night of the Living Dead. They're hitting way more beats than the original, than the and Dawn of the Dead ever did. This is a Night of the Living Dead homage. Right down to, we think our heroes got away, you know, when Ben comes up from the basement in the original Night of the Living Dead and he's looking around and... You think the cavalry's coming Spoiler, in? Spoiler! Don't spoil it. Okay. Well, it's it was made in 1969. So. Oh, it's gonna be bad. Well, it's. Is that the one that you went and got with your friends and? No, that was Day of the Dead. Oh, okay. I'm talking about Night of the Living oh, Dead, the one that okay. started all this. Okay. Um, but it's it's a shame because there are things about this movie to enjoy, and I wouldn't. It's not a movie that I would say don't. Like, there's so many remakes that followed this but where they're I, all just junk. I don't think it's a, a zombie movie. And I said this before, zombies do not move like that. It's almost like a virus. Yep. And they're crazed. But zombies are not crazed. They're driven for human flesh. And yep. they don't have to run yep. to get it because they'll catch you eventually. Yeah, there's so many of them, they'll get you. And they asked George Romero after this. He's like, they said... Run, zombies running or walking, yeah or nay. And he's like, guys, they're dead. Their tendons are rotting. Their muscles have atrophied because they're dead. Rigor mortis is set in. They can't run. Yeah. So this is not Easy a zombie. Pie. No, I think that that immediately pulls me out. It's what they did with the World War Z movie. They made yeah. them run, even though they walk in the book. Now, that scene where they go over the wall in India is terrifying. Where it's, they... If they're in like Aren't a they big in Israel, yes, you're right. Yeah. Sorry, I thought it was India. Um, that's terrifying. That's terrifying, but they could have done it without running, because they just turned them into a swarm of ants. Yeah, true. I just, I, I don't know. With the the Dawn remake, it's there's pieces of it that are fun. It's fun to see Zack Snyder in an early work, because he went from this to Three Hundred, oh, and I love then that movie. that's probably his. It's it's his best film is Three Hundred, because then he did Watchmen. Sucker Punch was his just fetish Ugh, porno. God, that was horrible. And then they gave him the DC movies because he did Man of Steel, Batman v Superman. So and Justice you screwed League. that up. You screwed that up. Yep. Screwed that up. 
Here's your reward. Why don't you do Superman? Yep. And you can screw that up as well. I actually like Man of Steel. I know. I, I, I don't like the Superman uh, stories. I quite like that movie. But it's. But you can also tell here that he's trying. So it feels. The movie looks like it was directed. You know, the original Dawn is just kind of this effortless. You know, he shot. He went in, shot a ton of coverage because he was an editor first. So he'd have lots of editing choices. So that movie just kind of skips along. There's never. Close-ups of Sarah Polly's feet as she's stepping out of the shower. We fucking need that. We know she's walking. There's never a shot of you know Peter's foot hitting the ground in the original. No, Dawn. that seems a little dramatic. Well, there's so many flourishy shots that young filmmakers would do because he was a young filmmaker. George was in his 40s when he made Dawn of the Dead. He'd already made five or six films. There's a confidence there. Yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. You know, he'd worked with basically the same crew through all the movies. He knew everybody. And it's like, okay, guys, you know, I, you, you got a stage, I've got a curtain, let's go put on a show. Where this is like, no, we're so serious and everything's going to be serious. See, that, and, that's a fun way to look at it. Like, I look at it akin to my Dracula experience, mm. where so many people have done Dracula. And whether you loved or hated that theater production, it was fun. And regardless of whatever drama went on behind yeah. the scenes, it was just like, we're going to do a show. We're just a bunch of actors that are like, roaming from countryside to countryside yeah. in like the island of, or the imaginary of Dr. Parnassus where they put on the show. Yeah. And that's what I kind of got out of the serious one where the um, Don O the Dead. Um, I, I'm surprised that I've changed my viewpoint. Is that, that has yet to happen. He, yeah, you've we've talked about films like you didn't like Hellraiser three oh, upon hell watching no. it, but you understood my its importance to me a little more. So we've we've had that kind of understanding where at no point have we looked at the other person and gone, "No, you're a fucking idiot." Like I think Fear and Loathing is as close as we got where you didn't. That and didn't the Exorcist. Go well. well, you didn't change your opinion on it, but you're like, I I get it. Like yeah. you, you, you got it. You just didn't want it, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> like that's that that's but that's perfectly valid. And that shows you know what's going on. It's like oh, I get it. Just get it the fuck, fuck away, away from I me. Don't know for, okay, Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Dumb as shit. Yeah. Okay, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. But this one, I liked it, and it's gonna lead me into my quality corner because I've kind of foregone that. Okay. And the quote that I pulled out. You're not just gonna do the Catholic Church one, are you? No. Okay. <laughs> we got this, man. We got this by the ass. <laughs> that was maybe one of my favorite quotes of the whole movie. God, me and Hayden say that to each other all the time. Hayden and I? Hayden and... All hot shit, because she got the second interview. <laughs> I gets it. No, it, this was good. No, this, uh, I was pleasantly surprised, and I like being surprised, yeah. and I was just like... Thinking going into it, rolling my eyes like, oh, God, what have I done? But. No, that's good. And the fact that you want to watch Day warms my heart. Because as I said. Wait, what did we watch? Dawn. Dawn of the Dead. So Isn't that what night, I just said? Night, Dawn, and Day. Jesus that's Christ. The, and then there was the other three that he did later on. Starting with Land of the Dead. Diary, I'm not committing to that no, yet. No, no. I land is only interesting because I was in it, so that's the zombie movie I was in. Holy plug! Oh right, no, <laughs> land is cute. It's a cute little film, but it's not the first three. Those are the trifecta, and Dawn of the Dead is untouchable. 
But the Dawn remake, go watch it. Yeah, watch it. Give it a watch. Yeah, like if you're if you're a Walking Dead fan and or if you love zombie uh, movies, Left 4 Dead, the video game, uh, because this is definitely it's Left 4 Dead and Dead Rising, the one where you're in a mall and you have to put together guns and all that stuff. Yes. That's the Dawn remake is Left 4 Dead and Dead Rising. That's what you're gonna get out of it. Um, and that's really all I can say about that remake. Yeah. It's like, okay. Oh, and it was written by James Gunn, so that's fun, who will go on to do Slither and the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Oh. So. Interesting tidbit. Yeah. So he came off the Scooby-Doo remake to writing oh, this. Oh, God. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Inter- interesting. Interesting. <laughs> no, this was fun. I, I'm, good. yeah, it's a good way to kick off my birthday month. I can talk about Dawn of the Dead at length. No. No. <laughs> First time watching it. What? So next week, or next, fuck! No, next episode, Bob. <laughs> Christ, we've done this ten times, and I think eight of the episodes I've said that. Next episode, episode 11, the dumbest number. 1D1. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a story behind that. When we were coming back from Prince Edward Island, I got, like, the travel jitters. Like, I just can't drive in a car any longer. With these children. Oh, it was just when you and Marty and the kids went. Yeah, and yeah. Sawyer was still being bottle-fed like six times a day. It was just, it was a nightmare. Coming home. The whole trip was amazing. But I, we reached a point in uh, Quebec, I think. Uh, we were almost to Ottawa where we were staying for a night. And I remember just going insane. Like, I felt stoned. And I was like, Marty, why don't we call 11 1D1? Because there's like 21, 31, 32... 1D1, 1D2, why not? And he just looked at me like, you are so messed up right now. I'm like, really? So what are we doing for episode 1D1? For episode 1D1, we are, we're going to try something a little different. This is a, a concept that we've been kind of batting around and figuring out how we want to do it. We haven't talked about TV yet. That's one of the big things where our movie tastes started to diverge when we were young. We were both... I watched a huge amount of TV, but we were both big TV watchers. We were we were weaned on the TGIF, so we've always been big TV fans. Uh, Jack, I think you've said you guys have almost kind of foregone movies in favor of TV. Yeah, movies. we've found, and Marty and I do have really similar tastes um, when it comes to TV and film. Not so much music, um, but we both enjoy certain things. Mm. Um, we're in a golden age of TV right now. Since it is. Mad it, there, Men kicked it off. It's, yeah, it's sometimes it's better than film. Yeah. Well, we're getting better drama on the small screen and bigger spectacle on the big screen right now. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to try something that we are going to call State Your Case. And how this game is going to work is each of us is going to pick a show that we love that the other one either hasn't seen or isn't really stoked on it. And the rules of the game are thus. You have to, you can show them the pilot, and you can then pick one episode of the entire series that you feel perfectly sums up what the show is about. And that's, and I know that that's tough, but that's how you're going to make your case for the show, based on the pilot and one episode. And we all know pilots suck. Yes, they usually are not... We're making this a very hard sell. Because it'd be easy to be like, hey, I have this show I love. I'm going to show you 10 episodes and you're really going to get into it. No. We're going to have to do a hard stop and a hard start on this. So my choice for the first 
my first entry in State Your Case, is going to be Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Ugh. So I will be showing Jack the pilot, and I already know the episode I'm going to show her. It's from mm-hmm. season eight. It's called In the Pale Moonlight. So if there's any Deep Space Nine fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. That episode is a monster of drama. Jack, what is your entry So my entry is the first show that I've ever really been able to identify almost 100% with the character, Jane the Virgin. Ooh. I am okay. neither Latina nor a virgin. <laughs> However. Nor had immaculate conception. Nope. <laughs> but this show spoke to me mm-hmm. on another level. And both my husband and I loved it, so... I've seen a few episodes, and it was eh, not to my taste, but we grew up in a big Star Trek household, and Jack <laughs> dodged that bullet. She Gosh. watched it, but she dodged that bullet like the Matrix. It didn't hit her. It hit me right in the face. I like the one with Red from um, Voyager. Orange is the New Black. Yeah, everyone likes Voyager. It's safe. It's safe. It's very easy. <laughs> so that's what we're going to be back with next episode. Yeah, we are. Is our first round of State Your Case. So we want to thank you guys very much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Jack, for joining us. Oh, thank you. Yeah, oh, thank me. Thank you. Oh, well done. <laughs> Mustard. Don't be He's silly. silly. <laughs> no, this was, this was fun. I can... I could do this all day with Dawn of the Dead. So, guys, you can check us out uh, on Facebook. Uh, just search 14 Months Apart. We are on SoundCloud and iTunes. So if you're listening to it on one or the other and then want to switch to the other, go nuts. Uh, so you can reach out to us on Facebook. We'd love to, to hear your comments, feedback. If you think that, hey, you're doing too much horror, do more TV, do more, bring back the book shit, like whatever, just let us know. So, again, thank you very much. And remember, a lot can change in 14 months.